Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, joke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see all that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. I even talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode like without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe like 27, I think Bruiser Brody, I think that was like the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it. And All right, well, uh, enjoy this episode. Okay, so how many parts are we going to do on Andre? Are we going to do five parts on Andre? Because I have a lot of stuff on this one. I, I think, how many fingers did he have? Ten? And the ten matches. No, so how, ten. How many, no, how many eggs could you put in one of his rings? I think that's how many parts we're going to do on Andre the Giant. How many Mean Gene Oakland faces can he grab with one hand? Oh, that, fa- that face thing? That's That was his go-to in every interview that he would ever do. It was like, they, oh, there's my face. They knew that, too. And in the teaser trailer for the documentary, that was like the build-up and like the oh shit moment to lead into the rest of the trailer it it was perfectly done when we get to the wwf stuff i have four hours just on hulk hogan jesus christ oh i I probably got at least six and they're all indictment pieces they're all (laughs) uh, that that's when i get out the paperwork that's when i'm bringing my briefcase so we're gonna do six hours and it's like can't release any of this i i already did another podcast on the andre documentary that was just an indictment on Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I, I think I love Hulk Hogan. I don't know why I have so much podcast <laughs> hatred towards him. Like when the light clicks on, it's just like mother. I like Hulk Hogan, but I, I have, love Hulk Hogan. I every time in front I, of a microphone, I'm I have okay to indict him. him. I have to indict him every time in front of a microphone because you didn't why. sell out Shea Stadium. I mean, didn't sell out Shea Stadium. I, I, I just don't know why I have to go. At, I think, but the thing is, every time he's in front of a microphone, he goes after everybody else. Yeah, so well, it's just fair game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. I saw the documentary. Yeah. I think you are suffering from a lack of vitamins, a lack of push-ups, and a lack of prayers. If you didn't end on prayers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was going to have problems. It uh-huh. has came crashing down, and it hurts inside for Jake Manning, and I'm here for you to talk about it. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for everything you said, except the things all you said. <laughs> All right, welcome to Tim Bell Pod, where we discuss the life and death of pro wrestlers. I'm Nick Alexander, and we're here again, and 
The Man Cave. The Man in Cave. Yeah, yeah I like Man, man cave. cave. I love Man in Cave. I like Man Cave because well, I came up with it. I am. <laughs> I am here as always with Michael Loving. I would just like to say, uh, now that this is another parter, but it did happen last night, but it's two weeks ago. Thank you, Jacare Souza, for beating Chris Weidman. But I just want to, uh, another shitty UFC ref, Dan Mergliata, with one of the latest stoppages that killed an awesome highlight reel K- walk-off KO for Jacare Souza. Not as bad as John McCarthy, but equally kind of shitty. Uh, I like how you're breaking up a UFC event, and there's probably been six UFC events <laughs> since the release of this podcast. I cannot argue that there is one every week. And I might bet on all of them because I have there's to. There's one every three days. I mean, they're, they're working just as much as Andre. I is. have to bet on all of them. Okay. All right. <laughs> and the man there correcting Micah, the man scout Jake Manning. The, 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 the head caveman of the Manning cave. <laughs> <laughs> he is way too fucking happy with this. <laughs> We should make fun of him for not coming up with it sooner, though. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. I mean, how many hours of podcasting have I done in this room, and I've just now come up with a name for it? <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, review, share. That helps us out. Follow us at Tim Bell Pod on all the social medias. You guys get it. Uh, we're at TimBellPod.com. All right, so I guess no long intro. We can just get into it. This is Andre the Giant in the Territories. We're doing 10 of them. We've only knocked off two of them. (laughs) We have eight more to go. Yeah, so so part one of five. Here we go, people. (laughs) All right, let's get into another big one, another important one, the AWA. So Vern Gagne and the AWA became one of the biggest promotions in the United States. And if all his talent didn't jump ship, you wonder what the world of wrestling would look like today, right? Yeah, and also too, like AWA ran my area of of the country. Okay. And uh, it's funny because I moved to Charlotte and Charlotte was obviously a big Jim Crocker promotion. And you were a Jim Crocker Promotions guy or your anti-WWF. Like, it, it was very much, it was the other civil war that was going you're on. You're either with country. us or you're against us. Exactly. And, and I remember having conversations with fans at conventions when I would tell them I was from Iowa. They'd be like, oh, you're an AWA guy. I'm like, no, I'm not. Didn't know AWA existed. <laughs> and actually, in research of this podcast, I was looking through listings of AWA. They ran an event in Clinton, Iowa. Ooh. In 1988. So you are an AWA guy. But here's the thing. Didn't know wrestling ever went to Clinton, Iowa, ever. And that's the town where I was born in. And they had Larry Zavisco defending oh, nice. the AWA title in Clinton, Iowa in 1988. A town where I regularly went to minor league baseball games. And there are like see... negative four people in your hometown, Jake? <laughs> yeah. There's, like, you'd think that I would so have known. So the shittiest promotion in the history, or not, not the wrestling promotion, but the publicity that could be done like how did you not know that's some shitty publicity promotion the clinton herald the (laughs) biggest newspaper in like a 40 mile radius should have had an ad for wrestling and i was the biggest wrestling fan of all time in 1988 you think my parents would have said hey let's go check out this wrestling that's happening in clinton let's go see tommy jammer take on larry zabisco there should have been one of those myrtle beach planes flying over the fucking town (laughs) with with the with the letters behind it saying hey awa zabisco coming to your town yeah 
Jake lived in a town of 82 people. Someone literally could have walked into the center of town and been like, wrestling! And then everyone would have known about it. No, I think someone literally could have walked into his town and uh, voted in themselves as champion. <laughs> Is that a good joke on your joke? Yeah, we went that We didn't set it up, but nobody knows. Nobody knows, <laughs> nobody knows anything about how my father became mayor because of 21 write-in votes. There you go. So. Uh, the AWA thing for me, I'm always like, oh, that, uh, that wrestling that was on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Oh, the ESPN wrestling. So Andre not only made his AWA debut, but his United States debut, July 24th, 1971, as Andre Rusimov teaming up with Bill Belinsky, defeating Mr. Perfect Senior, Larry Henning, and Lars Anderson. Mm-hmm. Lars Anderson, uh, one of the original Andersons, if I'm not mistaken. I think Lars came in with Oli, and uh, they were a part of the Andersons. And I think CW's uncle. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Because because I think it was well, you said I, yes I was almost like wait no, shit, are you right <laughs> excuse <laughs> me sorry, sorry I'm trying to think of the whole lineage of the Andersons I think it was Lars and Gene and then they brought in Oli and then they brought in Arn okay because like Lars left he was Larry Hermione because he also wrestled for AWA Hermione. Yeah, I think he was Hermione like because he because he couldn't do the Anderson thing anymore. I think mm-hmm. Gene was the only legit Anderson. Not mistaken. That's the super nerd content we bring to uh, this podcast. Thanks. To I, we did an interview with Lars Anderson. No, no, no. And and I'll never forget. Like for a while at like the NWA Fan Fest, people were like, when are you guys gonna bring in Lars Anderson? <laughs> I go, who the fuck is Lars Anderson? <laughs> I'm not we, giving you shit. I'm just like interesting yeah. shit. And then so I saw his name here again. I thought I'd never see that man's name ever again once we <laughs> brought him in and appeased that one fan that was like, you need to bring in Lars Anderson. Sorry, uh, look, offshoot on that Jake's point there is just like doing research on Andre. So many names I've never, ever heard of. I've seen a good many matches and uh, stuff, but just even hearing of certain names, I at least have an idea who they are. I've heard of them. But so many names I just have no clue on. Andre just presented those in droves. And speaking of names, AWA had all the big ones. Andre would face a who's who of professional wrestlers in the AWA. People like Dusty Rose, Nick Bockwinkle, Matt Dog Fashan. He even tagged up. With Dusty Rhodes and superstar Billy Graham. Unbelievable. The box office, baby. That's what I'm talking about. You have Stardust, the captain of the team. And I have my, my assistant captains, Andre the Giant and superstar like, Billy Graham. I'm waiting for the Mike Tyson to bleed into the impersonation. <laughs> yeah, it becomes like eight different people. The, the, the lisp is very prominent, baby. And see, everybody tries to do Dusty Rhodes over the top. I do Dusty Rhodes yeah, like he does in Florida, very softly talking to you. It's like doing a Christopher Walken. You do the, the subtle, soft-talking Christopher Walken. Not soft. that. Oh, not that. Talking to you, Cynthia. The Dusty talks to his women. <laughs> He's got a bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's got a bicycle. In uh, 77, Andre got a rare title shot at Nick Bockwinkle's AWA championship. And Nick was managed by Bobby Heenan in wrestling gear. It's not, you know, if you're a modern fan, you don't see Bobby in wrestling gear too often. There was that moment in my uh, wrestling geekdom where I was like, Oh shit, Bobby was a wrestler. Like Bobby did stuff. It's kinda like Lord Alfred Hayes. Like, oh shit, he was a wrestler. Like everyone who ever I don't know if Sean Mooney ever put on a match, but uh it seems like everyone who you see in any capacity in old WWF, they used to wrestle pretty much. Yeah, I mean Bobby was 
he started off as a wrestler, ended up as a manager. Yeah. And if he was in wrestling gear, he's probably wrestled earlier in the card that night. Yeah. Um, also, too, in that drop, uh, that legendary yeah, now. that Bachwinkle match. That Bachwinkle uh, 8mm footage. Yeah, it was another from one where it click, 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 click. 1976 Comiskey Park oh, against yeah. Andre the Giant. And also another way Is that, that White Sox... Yes, yeah, right. but, but yeah, that that Bachwinkle, that's some. It's it's weird. It's all clipped though. I mean, it's eight millimeters. So. Yeah, because he had to wind it himself. Oh, so. that makes perfect sense. I should have known that. I'm an idiot. It's so good though. That that makes perfect sense. But he definitely got the finish, which was them going over the top rope, which was a lot of the finishes yeah. that Andre had yeah. would be like the guy would charge and Andre would duck and the guy would spill over and of course a lot of territories had the stipulation that if you threw a guy over the top DQ. rope it would be a dq yeah. and then but the way that bachwinkle and andres went was bachwinkle was going for a head scissors yeah and you know, with some athletic stuff which you know. you know typically you know bachwinkle you know when, when you go for a head scissors the guy would do a flip over well he's not flipping over andre yeah, yeah. so he's just walking around with bachwinkle <laughs> just Hanging on for dear life with Even his legs. Even for wrestling physics, this doesn't work. Oh, it, it, it's it's an impressive feat, nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. And he's just walking around with him, and then finally he goes over the top rope with Bachwinkle. Like, to, like the commitment of Bachwinkle to be like, I'm just going to hop on your shoulders, hang on to you, <laughs> Uh, and hang on to your head with my fucking legs, not my arms whatsoever, not not, not my hands that I grip stuff with, just with my knee pit around your chin, yep. and then we're going to tumble over the top rope. I'm already on top of you, which is seven feet in the air, and then I'm another, I don't know, add another three feet. So I'm nine feet in the air right yep. now, and I'm going to flip over the top rope, and hopefully you're not going to land directly on me as we're tumbling over the top. Because could ruin my career. You could I'd land on me. <laughs> Because you're a giant yeah. and end my career, and we're going to just fall down to the middle, the infield of Kamitsky Park, and they pull it off, and it's great, and it's it's a great visual too, because there was a little bit of mud on the outside. Bachwinkle is just covered oh, in yeah, mud, yeah. but somehow Andre the Giant, who has the most surface area, completely clean, and it's <laughs> the it's the greatest visual ever of you know when they. I think they raised Andre's hand because, you know, technically you would Bach had the, the offensive maneuver. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, Andre was the one that was thrown over the top row, mm-hmm. even though technically Andre tumbled over. So yep. th- those finishes are just so fascinating because it's just a small thing like over the top rope. Well, who really won in that scenario? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but since Bachwinkle had the offensive maneuver... Yeah. He was the one that sent Andre over, even though Andre kind of tumbled over because he lost his balance because he had a human being yeah. on his head. So, but that's a way to protect Andre, but also protect Bachwinkle, who's your top guy. Yep. Watching all these Andre stuffs, it's just like, oh, he did this move? Holy shit. Like in this match, Andre pulls off a single leg, uh, a single crab, a Boston crab. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, what? He's doing a single leg Boston crab? And I also got to put over Bachwinkle here because of all the Andre uh, headbutts and cells, Bachwinkle sold the living shit out of his headbutts and it just looked gorgeous. He was just like, oh my God, his skull is caved in and he has a brain hemorrhage and he'll die. That's one of the things I really enjoyed about watching Bachwinkle and Andre Russell is he sold Andre's strength like no one else. He just made Uh Andre look superhuman but then he's also wrestling with her and that's what's just so that you see like the many layers of it like seeing like a 1976 andre the giant going against nick bachwinkle i mean if no one knows i mean he's pretty teeny i mean he's a wrestling standards he's a cruiserweight he's listed 510 240 there you go 240 yeah well he might have been 220 
you know. I was gonna say like like yeah. Jake just said about his stuff. So two forty, you do your own wrestling match. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you have enough muscle, you can add twenty pounds. <laughs> just to let you know. Yeah. In October of '82, Andre would be in an 18-man battle royal that would get bumped up to a 20-man battle royal because Andre and his pal Hulk Hogan would be late joiners, and the winner would get $50,000. Damn. Before it, you can see Hulk Hogan cut a Hulkamania promo in 1982. Andre walks in and says it's now Giant Mania. <laughs> Hulk is like, giant mania is your disease, brother. That's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And then Andre frowned, cried, and went in the back. <laughs> St- stood alone in the darkness and just stared at a corner with one light over yeah, top yeah. of him. Or, or, honestly, we're talking about Andre. He went, so what? <laughs> <laughs> no shit. No shit. <laughs> You get to see Bobby Heenan wrestle a little bit in this match, and some other notable people, Nick Bockwinkel, Adrian Adonis, Otto Vance, and when Hulk walks in, holy shit, you get a glimpse into the future because he pops the roof off the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, AWA is like really where like the light bulb like yeah. kind of comes on as like Hulk being a star for for wrestling audiences, like That's- him in the AWA, like this these huge pops in front of these large arenas, like this is like. The very beginning of when the of, twinkle in the eye of Vince yeah. was yeah. formed. Yeah, when you see when you see those things, and then you're putting them with Andre, especially in a lot of like even three on two handicap matches, like it's just unbelievable reactions, unbelievable pops. Like looks like a like a comparable star to one of the biggest stars, Andre the Giant. Because I mean, you, that's you, you get that idea because there's so many. I think even just podcast episodes of other ones where they just. They do the what if hypotheticals, like what if Hogan would have stayed in the AWA because it, it was they knew it could have happened there too. Yeah. And they had you know television. I think they were just around the corner from the ESPN deal. Like if they get ESPN yeah. and they got Hulk, yeah, you know, then it blows. I think up. it was eighty five to ni- or yeah eighty five to ninety. I think yeah. So Andre does a spot that he does in a lot of battle royals where he would eliminate himself by stepping over the top rope and chasing Bobby Heenan away. He did that in a lot of battle royals. Which is a good way to protect Andre because obviously he's eliminating himself. It takes him out of the match so somebody else can go over. But it's still the idea of like, oh, go get Bobby. Like you're you're not as upset that he lost because you want him to just get Bobby Heenan. Yeah, because there's so much heat on Bobby. Totally. So Heenan has the most victories over Andre the Giant. That's what we're saying. That's exactly what we said. That's why he became his manager later on. God damn, he's good. Uh, So Hulk would eventually win because he's Hulk Hogan. Yeah, the incredible Hulk Hogan. So Andre's last AWA match would be November 13th, 1983, a uh, three-on-two handicap match with Andre and Hulk defeating David Schultz, Jerry Blackwell, and Mr. Saito. Which they did the the three-on-two match a a couple other times. I found one with Andre and Hulk versus Bachwinkle, Bobby Bobby Duncan Jr., and Ken Patera. And those are like, you know, some pretty big stars in the AWA. Right there on the other side as well, with Bobby Heenan obviously in the corner as well. Yeah. So. All right. So we touched on Mid South wrestling a little bit on our Brickhouse Brown episode, but Andre would also go there. All right. This is ter- territory number four right now, yeah. and we are twenty minutes into this episode. Yeah. We're doing good. <laughs> We're doing great. We're pacing well, but uh, Mid South obviously run by Bill Watts. Uh, Bill Watts, good friend of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, very, very close friends, and obviously Dusty and Andre, uh, uh, tremendous friends together. And that's the thing too, like with Andre, you always 
hear about him being kind of a loner a little bit, especially in the HBO documentary. You talk about how lonely his life was and traveling around. So anytime Andre could be around friends was, was always a big thing. Like I would say some of his close friends, especially in WWF would have been like, um, like that machine gimmick he did, which we'll probably talk about later. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, Bill Eady was a good friend. Blackjack Mulligan was a good friend, but also too, you know, Dusty Rhodes was a good friend. Cause Dusty being a big star, he would get a big Cadillac and like Andre hop in a car with me, <laughs> drive you around. And obviously Bill Watts also notoriously would pick guys at the airport, you know, like Ernie Ladd and get a big Cadillac and drive yeah. around you know, these guys, I'm sure Bill Watts did much of the same with, with Andre as well. So I'm sure Bill Watts, Andre, and, and Dusty, you know, got along famously. Whew. Well, I have a, a, speaking of driving people around, a, a cool side story is that in this territory in 1974, a 19-year-old Jake the Snake Roberts would be Andre's driver. Ooh. And Jake said, uh, I remember there was a big van and they put a beanbag chair in it. He crawled up, plopped in there. I didn't say a word and drove. And I relate to that story because one time at WrestleCon, I drove TNA's Rebel to the airport. Aww. <laughs> we said, like, aww, but not, oh. <laughs> well, I wonder if Andre was as nice as Todd Berry was one time to uh, Joe Zimmerman. Joe Zimmerman. When, <laughs> when Joe Zimmerman picked up Todd Berry. Uh, said something nice to Todd Berry, and Todd Berry says, um, no, you don't have to do that. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, are you doing a bit, or are you just an asshole? No, just an asshole. <laughs> Didn't want him to talk. No, that makes sense, because Todd Berry, you know, he's he's funny and all, but asshole. Well, you, if you watch The Wrestler, he's kind of a hill Oh, on God, I forgot. Manager. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of Dusty Rhodes as well, Andre and Dusty would win the tag team titles from Ernie Ladd and Stan Hansen in Mid-South of rare title win. And I believe this is where they had to just forfeit them because Andre wasn't going to yeah, be how back are you for gonna, Who's going to beat that? Yeah, that too. <laughs> well, that's I think that's probably where they ran into the problem with Ernie Ladd and Stan Hansen. Somebody was like, how the fuck yeah, are we going to yeah, beat those, those two? two? <laughs> God let's, damn. Put, let's put Dusty Rhodes and Andre the Giant together. How the fuck are we going to beat these two? <laughs> King Kong and Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> South wrestling. Thanos with the infinity gauntlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we end on God and Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> also on the WWE Network as part of the Andre collection, you can see Bill Watts giving Andre an interview September of 83. You get a good 25-second shot of Andre's shoes compared to Bill Watts's size 13. Bill also gives the interview in Andre's jacket. And it's his best all-organic Jake Manning open mic impression of the giant oversized jacket. (laughs) Uh And also, uh, Andre said he lost some weight during that promo. But, like, the way he said it made me say out loud, oh, good for you. No, no. (laughs) He was, like, real proud. With Andre, I would just assume he peed all the beers he drank from the night before. Oh, he he probably meant it as a joke. He's rather like, oh, I lost some weight. (laughs) I'm not as big as I normally am. Like, like, ha-ha, I've really put on 50 pounds. (laughs) All right, any uh, final thoughts on his Mid-South run? I mean, Mid-South was one of the biggest territories. They, you know... They would do the Superdome shows. That was always a big deal. And Andre was a big part of those. So, you know, Bill, you know, he obviously, you know, was drawing huge. He was like, let's bring in Andre. But also, too, like, Mid-South was notorious for long drives. And 
I that wouldn't have clicked with. Oh, Andre would have had a rough time yeah. doing Bill Watts, but that's why you see like you know him only come in for like two or three shows for Mid South. Like you don't see much more than five shows and i noticed like can't do it boss can't do it i noticed like three of them were in louisiana which normally bill watts it'd be like oklahoma shreveport louisiana Uh, tulsa (laughs) you know like it there'd be like all over the place so i'm pretty sure when he scheduled andre he's like um let me book some shows that are a little bit closer together and some spot stuff and then this big stuff so that way andre's not making six hour drives just on the regular loop and that's one thing that bill watts was good about is people who he perceived as worth it like you know, your your Ric Flair's, your Dusty Rhodes, your Ernie, your Ernie lads. Like he would go out of his way to make sure that they were comfortable yeah. and take care of them because he knew that they were going to draw him a big house. And I'll go on my way to, to go the extra mile for you. Where the rest of you guys, you Dutch Mantels, you Terry Taylors, you're fucking doing the drives. <laughs> like. All right, well, let's head over to Charlotte and whatever you want to call it, Mid Atlantic, Jim Crockett. Uh, here, Andre would face the likes of Ric Flair, the mass superstar. He'd tag a lot with Paul Jones, and I know you're a big Paul Jones guy. Goddamn right, <laughs> I am. Were Were they pals? Because he tagged with him a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he was. Like, like, like Paul was was a big deal. Paul might have been one of those guys that would have got a big Cadillac and drove Andre around. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, like, and Paul was also he was also in florida so he probably met andre in florida a lot so yeah i mean paul paul was a guy as far as that goes but like also too paul was a little bit shorter so it'd be kind of interesting to see see a picture of those two together i'm sure there's one rolling around that i, I, I just couldn't find for whatever reason mm-hmm. but like i'm sure he made andre look massive and of course you know paul would probably sell and just tag out yeah. to andre and just do all kinds of stuff but you know yeah. See, this one I felt like a noob. Was like I'd never heard of Paul Jones before. Felt like a total noob. Oh, bro! I know, I know. Paul Jones was one of the best. <laughs> the, the guy, Indian Deathlock, airplane spin, the football tackle, Mister Florida. <laughs> I mean, we can go. We're gonna go on and on and no, on that's for a good an hour. Resume already. I'm already like, oh. Yeah, he was. He was one of the best. And yeah, Ricky Steamboat's tag team partner in the Mid Atlantic oh, region. Oh shit! Okay. So, yeah. He was, nice. a, he was a big thing. And still to this this day, even though Paul has passed, I'm sure he would even say that, you know, Steamboat turned on him. It wasn't the other way around. So. <laughs> Name some of your favorite Andre and Jim Crockett moments. Oh, this, this, this is the one where we – this is why I'm glad we're doing a two-parter on just the territory part <laughs> because I obviously have a lot of, a lot of hooks, a lot yeah. of resources that I could look into. I've heard stories from old-timers about Andre being in, in Jim Crockett promotions. And one of my favorite, this is probably top five, one of my favorite Andre stories. And I haven't heard this story anywhere else. And it, it's one of my favorites. And I, and I heard it when I went down to Columbia, South Carolina for a wrestling show, the Township Auditorium, uh, which is a legendary arena and which is where Crockett ran all the time in Columbia. It was the Township Auditorium. And even to this day, the Township Auditorium's parking is fucking garbage. <laughs> It's the fucking worst. Like location or just like everything's fucked. The, I, the I just, the... I went like two years ago to see Dave Chappelle at the township <laughs> and it was fucking awful parking there. I'm glad we went an hour early to see all the opening acts because yeah. if we went in late, it would have been a fucking mess. And, and where they put us was like some gravel lot that didn't even look like a parking lot. Somebody yeah. waved us over there, but yeah. it was like horrendous. But when I went there for the wrestling show, I brought the ring there and it was hard getting in because you had to like, 
it was like higher than the street. <laughs> it was a mess just getting the ring in. But also, too, a lot of the wrestlers were complaining about the the parking because they, if you're a performer, there's a small lot where you park. It's not like one of these big like arenas like like the Spectrum Center or other places where they got a huge parking lot where mm-hmm. like the talent could park. Yeah. I mean, even even like something like Jim Crocker Promotions, I'm sure if there's a lot of guys driving, if it weren't not a lot of, enough guys are carpooling, it'd be an issue with parking. Right. Well, that situation came up when Andre was booked at, at Jim Crockett Promotions, and Andre was driven down to Columbia, South Carolina. He got there late because, you know, probably flight delay or whatever, and he was going right to Columbia. It's an hour and a half drive from Charlotte. He was driving in, and the performer lot was full. And the parking attendant was like, well, you're going to have to park over here in the pay lot. <laughs> he uh, basically said, you have to pay to park. And Andre is like, no, I don't. Turned around and left. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> instead of pay for parking, instead of having another debate, he's like, okay. And just told the guy to turn around and drive back to Charlotte. Wow. Imagine, and as much of a draw as Andre was, <laughs> like... Imagine how pissed the promotion that was. That poor like, parking lot attendant probably got... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. Done. He, he's done for. He probably got fired. Yeah. For for sure. But when no, I, his house is burned down. Uh, but of course, uh, one of the persons that I, I did most of the research with on this Jim Crockett episode was uh, George South. And I, I sent him the text like I always do. I sent him the name, the, the stories that I've heard before. To, so it's like, you don't have to repeat this one. I've heard these before. But... What are what are some other thoughts? So when I sent the Andre one, this was a direct quote from George, which are always entertaining, <laughs> and this one especially. This is a direct quote when I asked about Andre the Giant to George South. Andre loved cards, but hated Crockett's. Huh. <laughs> exactly. So I I was like I was kind of confused because Jim Crockett promotion was always known as a good paying territory. Yeah. yeah. So okay, well he didn't hate the Crockett's because of money. Of money. And it couldn't have been the weather or the or the fact that it's the South because he ended up living here towards the end of his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, well, maybe it's loyalty to Vince. Maybe he kind of sensed the Crockett's one that had big aspirations. Yeah, I can see that. I can and, see so that. Like, uh, and then I'm like, mm, that's not it either. And then I'm like, so then I text George back. I go, was it because of the money, the weather, the pay, or loyalty to Vince, or was it because of Jim Crockett's uh, charming personality? And George's like, oh, the last one. <laughs> Nailed, yeah. Nailed it. Nailed it. Because Jim Crockett uh, Jr. was kind of a prick. And a lot of people don't uh, talk no. about that. No. There's actually a legendary story of one time Jim Crockett was in Hawaii for this big super show. Like he had Flair. He had Steamboat. And he was like guys would they were coming from Japan and they would stop over in Hawaii oh, for a big yeah. super show wow, yeah. with different promotions. Like they'd have King Kong Bundy. Um, very early in his career, they, they'd have Brody, they'd have Abdullah, they'd have all these wrestlers that were coming over from Japan from the different promotions, and they would all wrestle in Hawaii for a few days. It's kind of like a layover, yeah. you know, because flight traveling that far was kind of an issue. You'd have to stop over in Hawaii anyways, usually. So, like, let's do a, stay here for a few days, soak up some sun, do a show, get a little bit of payoff, and then fly back to the States. Huh. Well, Jim Crockett was there, and there was all these promoters. I guess King... Uh, Bruiser Brody, excuse me. Yep. I think of him because of St. Louis footage, King Kong Brody. But yeah. Bruiser Brody was there and was kind of a dick to Jim Crockett. <laughs> Jim Crockett was like, all right, if you're going to be this way, I'm going to take my guys and leave. And he basically stood in the locker room and said, everybody who works for me 
if you want to continue working for me, you will leave right now. And took all of his guys and left this promoter in Hawaii in a lurch because Bruiser Brody insulted him. Wow. That's the I'm just kidding. Do you happen to know the actual insult? Because I love details. I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it was Brody. I'm going to have to do a little bit more research. But that was the legendary story. It might have been somebody else. Yeah. It might have been somebody a little bit more linked to the actual promotion. But I remember something like that happening. And I want to say it was Bruiser Brody. But I'm not 100% sure. But that would make sense why we never saw a lot of Bruiser Brody uh-huh. in, in, in Jim Crocker promotions. Yeah. I have an offshoot of that. It just sparked my memory talking about Hawaii. And you mentioned Flair and Brody. I remember in my early tape trading days, there was like these compilations and there was this there was this rare match that you would get on uh, bootleg VHS. And I think I'm pretty sure I might screw up the details, but it was a Bruiser Brody Ric Flair match that was only broadcast on C-SPAN. And I remember this because you, you would see pictures, and I think I have it on VHS stuffed back in my dungeon Wait, somewhere. C-SPAN, like the yes, political yeah, Yes, thing? yes, yes. Like, it's, it's C-SPAN or like a, a, a economic channel or something yeah. that, like, why the fuck is this on <laughs> yeah. this channel? And I remember it because there's, like, there's a, like stock market numbers scrolling at the bottom. <laughs> and I remember it was one of those rare things, like, yeah, Bruiser Brody versus Ric Flair on C-SPAN bootleg <laughs> that someone recorded off TV. And I remember it was one of those things, like, man, there's just amazing things in the world. <laughs> was, uh, was Ric Flair wearing a blue robe? I, I, details I'm sketchy on. I'll, uh, like, because cause I'm going to go been, home and dig and find shit. There, there, there was a famous match between Bruiser Brody and Ric Flair uh, from St. Louis. And that was like an hour long or whatever. It was Really? Oh, yeah, there is that. But I, I think that, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the main reason I remember it, because I'm pretty sure it was C-SPAN, Brody, Flair, but it was a Hawaii match. So that's the connection. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Connection. I, I, right, yeah, bury your opener. Um, uh, bury your lead. Um, but yeah, I remember it was just... Flair, Brody, Hawaii, C-SPAN. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) But, yeah, that's out there somewhere if anybody wants to dig. Well, and another thing about Crockett Circle, there's something else that's out there. It's a story. This is a famous story, um, and it would have been a Jim Crockett promotion story because it happened in Virginia Beach. Um, like, Like I said earlier, one of Andre's best friends was Blackjack Mulligan, and Blackjack Mulligan had a little bit too much to drink one night and decided it would be a good idea to challenge Andre to a fight. (laughs) (laughs) When I say that he had a little too much, I mean he had way too much. Blackout too much. Yeah, he decided to get into a fight with Andre and, and they proceeded to start fighting each other. And broke out and some of the wrestlers were like what should we do and somebody said what can we do yeah but there was like we can't fucking stop these guys <laughs> it was basically like godzilla versus king kong and they just start beating the shit out of each other and it was like legendary because they were like fighting through walls <laughs> of this like hotel bar yeah, and they like yeah. ended up fighting on the beach <laughs> like as God- the sun came down like it? yeah like godzilla and yeah. fucking king kong they basically just had to let these guys fight on the beach until they were tired <laughs> <laughs> and hugged it out and they just ended up sitting on the beach drinking the rest of that yeah, afterwards yeah, yeah, yeah. like ah, I remember when you caught me with that that was a good one rather <laughs> anger turns into exhaustion exhaustion turns into identifying with the other person and then your chums and you're drunk again exactly <laughs> and, and and they you know one of the things they did with Andre a lot uh, during his time in the Mid-Atlantic region is they would do the battle royals but they would do two ring battle royals 
Have you guys ever heard of the two ring battle royal system? Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in WCW, that's three ring. That was World War Three. Uh, World War Three. That's right. They see there's special rules. <laughs> I was thinking of war games. There's special rules to the two ring battle royal. Basically, everybody starts in ring number one, and the object is is to take people from ring number one and throw them into ring number two where another oh. battle royal will happen with people in ring number two. So obviously in ring number one, you're not throwing people over the top rope. You're throwing them into ring number two. So that lends <laughs> to a lot of interesting stuff where like the bigger guys will end up throwing the smaller guys into ring number two or over the top rope, and they just kind of sell over into ring number two. Now, eventually, there's only going to be one person left in ring number one. Well, he gets to hang out. While ring number two goes at it, <laughs> they they go at it. So you want to be so that lends to some interesting storytelling avenues as well. Hmm. Is as ring number two fills up, that's when you throw people over the top rope and they're eliminated. So hmm. sometimes what would happen is Andre would be in ring number one just chilling. There would be this fight going on and it'd be like this over the top rope and usually like someone like an Ernie Ladder or a bigger heel would end up cheating to win in ring number two. Then all of a sudden here comes Andre into ring number two and eliminates the big heel in the end. But also too, when you didn't have Andre in the mix, you would have like the scrappy baby face, you know, three on one situation. He'd take out three heels and all of a sudden you'd have this heel come in from ring number one. So like that, that was kind of how those were structured. So you throw from ring number one into ring number two, then over the top rope in ring number two. Another thing that, that uh, the Crockett's used to do with Andre is they used to make him um, special guest referee. And he was special guest referee for Steamboat versus Flair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's it's tremendous. I've seen footage of this. Um, you know, like Andre used to do this thing where like, you know, Flair would be getting, taking chops in the corner from yeah. Steamboat. He would come out, he would do his Flair and fall down mm-hmm. on the ground. And then of course, Andre is like telling Ricky like, Hey, when I tell him, let him out of the corner, let him out of the corner. And Andre's walking over to Ricky and what he would do is he would end up stepping on Flair's hand while yeah. Flair is on the ground <laughs> and Flair would be so like, ah, there's a giant's on my hand, the giant's on my hand and Andre wouldn't know it and all of a sudden like you'd see this thing where Andre like move his foot and then Flair would go off and sell his hand for the next 20 minutes. Okay. A funny image to me is Andre sl- doing like the referee slide to like hit the count. <laughs> he would just take up like yeah, the whole Yeah, then he just ring. slowly bend yeah, down yeah, on two knees. He, he would just go down to one knee and do uh, the little okay. pat right there and I'm, also too, he was always in the perfect position to see the pin because he's Andre the Giant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I just, just like he just gets both of his hands and stands and goes one, two, <laughs> three. And uh, there is a you know there's a good one where you know Flair would climb to the top rope and obviously he's doing the count like hey you got to get off off the top rope you give him a count of five and Flair is just like no. No, I'm not coming off. I'm not coming off. And so then, uh, you know, he Andre count of five, and Andre would like get down, and Flair's like screw you, and Flair would jump off like he's gonna do something to Ricky. Andre would step in, catch Flair, <laughs> set him back down, like I told you That's five. And then of course the multiple times that Flair would be selling for Ricky. Um, take a press slam from Ricky yeah. and then go over to Andre, push Andre, Andre, push him. He'd sell out. And so he's like, so he's like yeah. just bumping for both these guys. <laughs> handicap match. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah, it would turn into a handicap match. But what would end up happening is they would do like a finish where, you know, Flair would get thrown over the top rope or something like that. And then, that, and then, then Andre's got to be like, I got a DQ yeah. because of this. But then he'd get Flair back in and then Steamboat would hit his finish on him. So it was all kinds of multitudes of different avenues. It was just a different way 
to use them. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a I unique mean, that I didn't see a lot stuff, of other yeah. territories use is use Andre as a special guest referee. But it took two masters like Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair to figure out, oh, here's an entertaining way to do yeah. this. Was that on YouTube? I didn't pick it. I, did, I didn't that? put in the Dropbox. I've got a like. A oh, it's another it. private good. good yeah, I've got like gym. all these mid-Atlantic. Oh, okay, like, awesome. Eight millimeter stuff as well. All right, so Andre's last match in Jim Crockett would be April 8th of 83. It's Andre Bugsy McGraw, Jimmy Valiant, beating Dick Slater, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, in the (laughs) one-man game. Yeah, in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Coliseum, just on the road from where we are uh, located at the Manning Cave. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's head over to New Japan Pro Wrestling, where Andre did a lot of good stuff. Andre would make his New Japan debut tagging up with Jim Grabmeyer. Do you know who that is? Nope. nope. <laughs> no. Another name no. on the list of who are you? Listen, uh, it's all about education and we're just learning. So the bulk of Andre's uh, work, especially in the early 70s in Japan, would, would be with Antonio Noki. Because that's who he, that's how it was fucking structured in New Japan, is you just go to Anoki, make Anoki make look like a fucking star, yeah. and and they did, they did that a lot. Then they tried to create their own monsters, sometimes it would work, sometimes it, it wouldn't, but it was always just feed to Anoki, feed to Anoki, feed to Anoki. I mean, I watched probably i think there's eight available matches if you dig hard with andre and inoki and they it's like when i when i talked about stronger kobayashi from i think it was iwe and then they kind of turned into this inoki saw those and they put on they put on some great damn matches if you haven't seen andre and inoki in like their 80s matches are kind of you know andre's age but find their early seven there's a 74 match where they wrestle in brazil um 76 match 78 79 I mean, they they there's a there's bow and arrows. Uh, Andre does a bow and arrow. Inoki attempts to do a bow and arrow on Andre the fucking giant. <laughs> almost gets it. Andre puts Inoki in a Mexican surfboard. The stuff they do, the, some of the sequences they do spots I have never seen before. There's a great one. Andre has him in a hammerlock. Inoki grabs his head. He does the old snapmare. Jumps high. Whips him over. Andre rolls through on the snapmare, but holds the hammerlock. It's that type of athletic stuff that made me go, holy shit, man. I mean, Andre was working his ass off. Just like the Kobayashi stuff, they fight for every hold. Like, Andre has the most expressive face, man. When he was in it and he really wanted to emote, the dude was just, like, fighting and just, like, he, he would do fear so well. And even though he was huge, he would rah, 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 when he was pissed. I mean, he sold so well in the little moments that he knew only the people in the front row would see. And I mean, just some of the athletic stuff. There, there was, there's one spot. Um, was it Andre gets Inoki up in uh, uh, butterfly hooks. He gets him up in kind of where Colt, Colt Cabana hits the Colt 45, where he has his arms butterflied, but he's over his back. And then Inoki finds the turnbuckle, kicks off of the turnbuckle, rolls through. Andre rolls through of him, and Inoki ends up on top. There's these little moments that I just, I it was, I didn't know Andre was this damn good, and it really it it blew me away. Andre hits a pedigree on Inoki. Oh, no shit. I, I just could not believe the little things they do. They work so damn good together. If you haven't seen Inoki and Andre, I cannot mark out enough i mean it's it's beautiful stuff yeah and 
he's another thing on display also as well, but also to his matches that he would have against like someone like a Stan Hansen oh, God, in Japan yeah. was unbelievable. Where they just would go at it. They would just speak. Brawl, I mean, they would like, fight. They, they would just give a shit. Which is yeah, complete yeah. opposite of what he's doing with Anoki, where he's actually wrestling and doing holds and maneuvers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he then just him work and just everything. doing the brawls, which, you know, that's the way it was in Japan. He either did the brawls or he did the technical stuff. But also, too, he would wrestle people like Tatsumi Fujinami. Yep. And just the amazing matches there. Just, yeah, all kinds of things. And also, too, you, you see a whole catalog of Andre where he's just this tremendous worker he's got his working boots on but then slowly over time you see a lot of deterioration like andre was going there i mean in the late 80s where he wasn't all that great but also too even in 86 and 87 and like i mentioned in the last episode you you read a lot of these write-ups for these matches in the in the mid 80s and people are like oh andre just disrespecting this new japan crowd and just lethargic and slow and like the way they would just talk shit about those later matches of andre especially when andre was hurting i was like i want to just grab that reviewer like who hurt you they're just showing their ignorance so fucking hard and if they're a real fan you go back and you get full context on any artist of anything and see what they really did when they were in their prime. You understand why you know who the fuck this person is. Because you... Why do you think he's this big? Because he just always lumbered around and looked slow? No, because he used to be amazing and he used to blow people away, not just in the ring with his size, but just every aspect of who he was. It's just douchebags. I just... Well, and I I think a full uh, culmination to it was a, hit, a match that Andre had with uh, Akira Mieta in December 5th of 1986. Like, we're talking, like, months prior to the large match with Hulk Hogan at Pontiac Silverdome. Yeah. Yeah. A, a match that people were concerned that Andre was going to be in good enough health to even make. That was around back surgery time, right? Yeah. Like back like, brace. Yeah, and, and Andre is in Japan wrestling Akira Mieta, who was one of those UWF guys, those... Shoot... Sh- Shoot, not shoot, guys. Yeah, uh, that that internal uh, promotion that was feuding with New Japan. These guys that broke off and wanted to do more of a shoot-based yeah. wrestling style. Shuto rings, battle arts, pancreas, that whole type of. A, a lot of guys that were trained by Carl Gotch, um, but they tried to be more realistic. Yeah. And Akira Mieta was one of their top stars out of that whole group, but also Mieta had a fucking reputation for being a fucking asshole. And he broke Ricky Choshu's orbital bone while Ricky Choshu had his sharpshooter whatever the ver- version of the mm-hmm. Scorpion Deathlock. He had it locked in on a guy and it was like a multi-man match and Mieta just walked in and just shoot kicked him right in the fucking face. Unprotected and broke Choshu's orbital bone. So also Mieta too, was like the dickhead Loki of the... <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, basically, I mean, if you want to, if you want to put a term and relate it to that, yeah, and also to Mieta hated like any foreigners coming over and he'd wrestled a match with Andre maybe a couple of years prior and obviously Andre's best years are, are, are past yeah. him and it's a kind of an attraction and Andre's not going to do any of his stuff. So I'm sure Mieta like had some resentment coming into this December 86 match, but it, it is weird it is a half an hour long. It is. It is. Yep. I've seen it. It's weird. <laughs> and there is dispute on whether or not Andre is intoxicated during this match because he's kind of stumbling around, acting a little erratic. But at the same time, too, 
if he's having all these back issues and as a doctor, it's going to be hard to prescribe him pain pills because it's hard to gauge what you could give a giant. Totally. Yeah. So he's probably self-medicating yeah. just to get into the ring. So was he intoxicated? Possibly. Probably. And almost understandably. Yeah. Because he needs something to get through this match. And it's obviously a tough time in his life because the referee for that match, if you notice, I'm almost 100% it's Frenchie, the guy who... This is wor- manager? The guy that w- worked on his farm. Uh, oh, yeah, gotcha, it, gotcha. That ended up getting the farm in the end because I remember from the A&E documentary, I remember watching this 30-minute match. I'm like, holy shit, I think Frenchie's the ref in this. Well, yeah, he did. Oh, he is that the guy that looks like the Grateful Dead? Yeah, the long mole <laughs> yeah, with yeah, the yeah. bandana. He yeah, yeah. okay, WCCW and a bunch of places, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but he's here in this 86 match yeah, and, and right. he had his just kicking Andre in the leg multiple times and Andre's trying to wrestle but he's kind of stumbling. He's not all over the place. It's like lots of single leg takedowns that go nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> and so there's there's debate that Mia is just like pissed off because Andre is too drunk to fucking wrestle, yeah. and it gets comes to an impasse at one point in time. Andre just lays down with his arms open and says, "Pin me. Go ahead. If you fucking think you're such a badass, go yeah. ahead and pin me." And that's when Anoki hits the ring. Yeah, Anoki's and he, in it. I was like, what the fuck is this match, Yeah, man? it is just so weird. But then there's also a thing, too, that people think that maybe Anoki stirred up Andre because Mieta had always been known to have, like, an attitude. So there might be an idea that Anoki said, hey, this guy got an attitude. Don't sell him this shit. Yeah. Fucking shit on him. Fuck it. You make him look like shit. And you know, fuck him. Because who's going to fuck with Andre? Yeah. Even yeah. even 86 Andre in a bad shape, you ain't going to fuck with him. Right? Yeah. So there, there's there's that theory to it as well. There's a theory that Mieta didn't want to work with Andre, and Andre said, fuck you, I'm not going to work with you if you're not going to work with me. There's also the debate of whether Andre was too drunk and Mieta took offense to that. Then there's also belief that maybe Inoki stirred up Andre. So you have all these things going into this, and it's just... This weird match that goes on for 30 <laughs> minutes that's just unreal. But it ends with Andre on the ground, arms open, going, pardon me, <laughs> and just standing there in the middle of the ring. Just real quick, the note you had on the match when you put it on Dropbox was just strange. <sighs> and then uh, when it was that shoot style, I know there was, a, there was a lot of matches that started turning into mixing pro wrestling with shooting. And I was like, oh... Does Jake not know they did these type of like kind of shoot mixed MMA mixed with wrestling realistic finger quotes matches? And then when it started to turn into what it turned to, it was like, oh, I get Jake's <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It was like, what the fuck is going And then like the match almost got restarted. And then you're like, no, it's a disaster, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. So, like a lot of people from Andre and. Hulk Hogan to Eddie Guerrero and Kenny Omega. Some of Andre's best work is in Japan, as far as in ring. <laughs> you know, it to- uh, totally. And he would wrestle there throughout his WWF uh, career because that was part of his contract when he signed with Vince. So we will maybe even touch on this a little more next episode. Yeah, because New Japan had a working relationship yeah. with with WWE. Like they even like there was the WWF light heavyweight title was exclusively defended in Japan. Mm, like yeah. it, they only have it when they'd have Tatsumi Fujinami come over or Tiger Mask and it never was really recognized or defended or brought up in WWF only when Fujinami would come over or Tiger Mask would come over and that was it but it was mostly exclusively New Japan and then finally WWF's like you can have this title. <laughs> Go ahead, it's yours now. One thing I did want to say just 
getting to know Andre and just seeing him age, like you said, and seeing him wrestle Inoki like through 13 years in every yeah. stage really showed me because it showed with this one specific person how good he was with this person and just how it deteriorated. And that's what really hit me in the heart. And <laughs> was like, oh, fuck. It, it, it was watching all those matches one night, like eight, nine Inoki Andre matches in chronological order. It was really like, oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good, and I can't say it enough. Watch Andre Inoki. Damn. All right. Well, let's head back to America, where if you don't like it, you can get out. Uh <laughs> So Andre would also spend some time at the St. Louis Wrestling Club. And St. Louis was a, a crucial, crucial territory in the entire NWA. Um, St. Louis was run by Sam Muchnick, uh, who is a longtime NWA president. Mm-hmm. And actually, in doing research, you know, the Keele Auditorium was basically like their Madison Square Garden of the Midwest. And part of the reason why it was such a you know, heralded building is because three NWA world title changes happened there in St. Louis. And and Sam was a big part of the NWA and actually the Missouri title, which was kind of the primary title in the territory, was like the setup belt for NWA. If you could hold the Missouri title huh. for a considerable amount of time and do a, a good enough job with it, then you'd be in consideration to be NWA huh. heavyweight champion. Uh, some of the famous Missouri heavyweight title holders were Dick Murdoch, Ted DiBiase, Rick Flair, I think, even held it for a short period of time. You know, but those were the guys that were like, hey, can this guy hold the Missouri belt? Hmm. And if he can hold the Missouri belt, maybe he can be NWA champion. I never do that stuff, and that's awesome, and I'm glad I learned that. So thank <laughs> you for the super nerdy shit like that, because I was just like, interesting. So Yeah, but the St. Louis Wrestling Club, it was like a big deal. Like, if you could make it in St. Louis, you could be... You could make it anywhere. <laughs> you, you could make it anywhere in the NWA territory. Well, I have, an extra personifier. I have driven through Missouri, and I have done comedy <laughs> in Missouri, and if you can fucking draw people in Missouri... <laughs> You did it. You are a big star because there's no one out there. Anything that sticks out to you in St. Louis? Uh, No, I mean, you know, he teamed with all the top guys. I mean, Dick the Bruiser and, you know, he would team with all kinds of people on TV. And and obviously the Keel Auditorium was a big deal. Also, the Checker Dome was another big uh, drawing building in St. Louis. Um, It's one of those smaller territories. It was primary St. Louis. They would cross over the other side of the river in Illinois. Um, but it was primarily Missouri, which is funny because also I think Central States was based out of Kansas City, and that was a separate territory. So it was butt up against another smaller territory as well. But they had such a strong TV and the television program mm-hmm. wrestling, wrestling at the Chase, which was at this – um, Chase Hotel in St. Louis. So they're all dressed up nice. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah they're yeah, all okay. like, if you see the older, older footage, like people are like at a table dressed in three-piece suits <laughs> yeah, and tuxedos and yeah. evening gowns, yeah. and there's this wrestling going on. Eventually, <laughs> it was like they turned it into a studio at one point in time, but it was in this banquet hall. But it was like a legendary television program, and that was another reason why it was important because the television was so strong. So if you wanted to be champion, you had to be really good as a promo guy. Right. If you're not good with interviews, you probably weren't going to be NWA heavyweight champion. So if you could do well on St. Louis's TV, then we can take you to other people's TVs because St. Louis TV is so good. If you, it was like really shining a light on somebody, Yeah, you know, all the flaws are there hmm. and it was presented on St. Louis wrestling. The black light of 
Yes, very wrestling. much the black light of the wrestling. The hotel black light and, of wrestling. And Dick Murdoch, there were a lot of stains. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have two territories left. Let's head over to Texas and California and NWA Big Time Wrestling. Like you need to say, Big Time Wrestling. <laughs> Which there were there were a lot of like Big Time Wrestling. Like a lot of the promoters didn't. I think like Big Time was also. Uh, Dick the Bruiser's name that he used during research. I got my ass confused a couple of times <laughs> with big time wrestling. Yeah, because so, yeah. the names didn't really mean anything. But like to, to clarify what this was, this was like Texas of California, which was kind of like the Dallas office, which ended up becoming world class. But, uh. but they also had a working relationship when they were big time with uh, Mike LaBelle and Judo Jean LaBelle, which is where, you know, part of the reason why we're covering this is because this is when uh, Andre would go to California. So obviously we can't ignore California, much like you can't ignore them in the election. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, like that that, that was their L.A. branch. They would take like guys uh, from the Dallas office, send them to L.A. and work in California. And California guys would come into Dallas just to kind of freshen up all the towns and freshen up the talent. You could kind of do a talent exchange, but they're all kind of part of the same thing. Mm. This is a match that stuck out to me. Andre the Giant versus Bruiser Brody in a no contest. And just the thought of those two yeah. slugging it out against each other in the ring had to have been a sight. The thinking is like how much reputation, how much Andre could be a bully if he didn't like you. Them two in bad moods in the ring. I mean, like, Jesus Christ, that is the true King Kong versus Godzilla stuff we're talking about. Just because the only thing I found was uh, just like a highlight lead up reel. Did anybody, did you, either of you find an actual match? I didn't think so. Yeah, I mean, like, just thinking about those two in a bad mood is just like, holy shit. The summer of 77, he'd face The Sheik. The Sheik, like he had such a unique character. Like he'd throw the fire yeah. and, and he'd come up with a snake and he'd have the prayer rug and he'd, he'd, he'd have all the things. And he was kind of a smaller guy, but he was such a gimmick that like his matches with Andre were, were always fascinating because yeah. seeing a smaller guy really beat up Andre, you know, it wasn't feasible for a lot of the people, but for the Sheik and his character and the way. Like I said, he'd throw the fire, and and he would do these 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 tactics in the pencil too. Like he would tape up a pencil, and he would stab guys uh, with it, but because it, it looked like a foreign object. Because the reason why it was a pencil because it was so long. But he put white tape over it so people, like even the cheap seats, could see that he's got an object. And he would turn his back and stab it in Andre's throat. And obviously, no matter how big you are, if you're stabbing someone in somebody's yeah. throat or stabbing it in his head, yeah. and he's getting getting blood, and he's doing it behind the referee's back like that was like a believable way for the giant to sell and obviously he finally gets his hands on the sheik and of course the sheik would end up leaving and keep his heat and they just kind of keep it going i just i love the stuff with like the pencil and he's like oh they can't really see it so i need to wrap it in tape just like it's just like good filmmaking it's just like we need to make this we don't have a jumbotron they can't see shit we got to communicate properly so we got to wrap it so the people who paid the 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 peanuts still understand oh shit he's cheating oh shit he's cheating (laughs) yeah i just love those little details where they really know their surroundings and know what they have to do to sell the story and it's just like it's it's good damn storytelling man they know what they have to do jake brought this up uh before we started recording some of these california trips he probably stacked that with a little bit of acting yeah right? because I'm, I'm sure he did you know, we were talking about like you know, his appearance on the six million dollar man yeah. I, I imagine like 
if he's going to fly all the way to the West Coast, I'm like, oh, maybe get some gigs or do something out of this. You know, I can, I can imagine probably on some of those trips because it's right there in L.A. I mean, heck, like if I go to L.A., I, I want to stack as much stuff on it as possible on the trip. And I'm yeah. only 180 pounds. <laughs> I mean, I'm not make a giant it, getting in a plane flying across country in the 70s. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and you know, do some Hollywood stuff, probably tonight show appearances and all kinds of stuff like that. So, all right, well, let's head to the last territory that we're going to cover the last territory that Andre would work before signing with Vince jr. World-class brother. Mm -hmm. I don't do it as good as Jake world-class brother, which actually (laughs) spawned out of the NWA big time office as well. Once they split with LA branch, they became world-class, but they were their own, separate thing as well but this is where fritz von eric and he started pushing his sons and everything like that and everything of that they were they're nationally televised sportatorium all all of those things and actually you know fritz had such a high regard for andre the giant that he even booked andre on on fritz's retirement show which happened at texas stadium uh, where they set the ring up in the end zone where you see the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> logo. Uh, oh, obviously, boy. obviously, like, you know, when you see other things, when you see, like, like WrestleMania where they re- went at uh, Jerry World, they put the ring in the middle yeah, and they fill it up. Fill the whole damn uh, thing. Not so much world class at this time. They put the ring in the end zone. They put the people, like, in the upper deck and they look down at this ring that's, a million miles away. And it's like, if they didn't do one spot off the goalpost, then what the fuck are they doing there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't do that spot, get out. Get Jeff out. Hardy wasn't around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that, that's just so funny is they put them just on one side and they put all the people on the one side of, of Texas Stadium. But uh, there's, there's a match that I put in the Dropbox. It was Bugs, Bugsy McGraw versus Andre the Giant. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's very unique seeing that match because World Class was known for its production. And they mic the rings. They were like one of the first people to do that. World class looks amazing. It looks updated. It looks like 2005 wrestling. And they did that shit in like the 80s. It looks very good. Yeah. And, and the way like them micing up the ring as much as they did. Like and just hearing Andre. A yeah. fucking giant yeah. smack another human being. Yeah. It it looks yeah, it sucks you and in more. Sounds it's the storytelling. Like yeah. yeah, it just like it just pulls you in, which is amazing because that match that we saw at Texas Stadium, the people are at least 80 yards away. <laughs> like, they're not even close to that. So that's why there's a little bit of disconnect. When, when a ring is too far away from the people, there's a disconnection from the crowd. Yeah, but watching awesome. it on video, it looks amazing. And that you just feel the force at the which he were was hitting another man. And yeah. even though he's working with this individual, he's still hitting you. Yeah. A giant is still hitting you across the chest. Yeah. That's what's so amazing about I th- it. I think I, I saw something. I think it was. I know it was Texas. I, I assume it was WCCW, but it was it was a body slam battle royal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was just like it, there was. I think uh, Bugsy was in that too. He was. The, Bugsy he was, was, the was the final, in the finals. Yeah, right. But uh, it was the whole thing is like, nope, not over the top. You just have to slam, slam the other guy and you're eliminated. So with Andre and that, it's like the best of both worlds. Like you're not going to throw him over the top and you're not going to body slam him. So let's do this little bit gimmicky thing. And yeah, it was pretty fun. That. I watched a Kamala match, just a spot that I loved. The whole test of strength with both hands. Andre did a test of strength with Kamala. Kamala got to use both hands on one of Andre's hands and still lost. That, that spot made me happy. Oh, and... Andre had to have 
love to work with Kamala because they not only worked at World Class, they worked in Mid-South, several other territories. So obviously, like, that match did very well. And Andre, obviously, I would say like Kamala because he wouldn't have wrestled him as much as he did. Like, maybe yeah. Killer Khan would be second to the amount of, like, matches that you have with Andre or, or Inoki. Mm, yeah. uh, like, if you put in, like, top five opponents right. as far as volume Quantum, goes, yeah. uh, Kamala is definitely in that top five because yeah. he wrestled not just in world class but, like, world south and multiple different territories. And there was the whole story that Kamala talks about how he had a problem with Andre at first, but then he started bringing a gun, <laughs> and he, like, put a gun in his trunks while he wrestled. And uh, and then him and Andre finally cleared it up when we almost pulled the gun on Andre. And I, the one Kamala quote I really loved was like, locking up with Andre was like wrestling a bear. And I know, because I've wrestled a bear before. <laughs> <laughs> and Andre's last match in WCCW would be April 23rd, 84, where Andre and King Parsons would beat Kamala and The Missing Link by DQ at the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas. So in 82, Vince McMahon Sr. sold the World Wide Wrestling Federation and all its W's to his son, Vince Jr. Now Vince Jr. required all his wrestlers to work exclusively for WWF, and Andre signed to those terms in 84, although he'd still be allowed to work for New Japan. And that will end our coverage of Andre's territory days. So final thoughts on Andre working the territories. Like I said in the last podcast, probably the smartest thing that Vince Sr. ever did was recognizing that Andre is an attraction and we can't run him into the ground. Let's send him off. Uh, Let me get a booking fee off him wherever he goes. And then, of course, he will garner as much money as possible, but also lets the masses know about this special attraction that exists, which is Andre the Giant. And and that's the thing, too, is... He could have just been in New York and he could have been a very big star. But as far as being a national star, like he'd really have to go out and, and mingle in with the people. And that's exactly what he did with this. So kudos to Vince Sr. for seeing that, recognizing that, understanding that, and allowing him to be as big of a national star. And that's why we're still talking to, about him today. And yeah. I think that's why he was such a great opponent for Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3. Nobody else could have been in that spot. Nobody would be as recognizable nationally uh, to go against Hulk Hogan, especially at such a peak in professional wrestling. Um, Also, too, I don't know where to fit this in at all other than probably this spot right here. It's probably one of my favorite Andre stories of all time, and I'm not 100% sure which territory it happened in, because it was a match between Andre the Giant and Stan the Man Stasiak. Uh, I, looking up the, the research, it, it might have been in Houston. I assume it would be in Portland because Stan Stasiak was a big deal in Portland, but I'm not for sure. But it's a story about a match between Andre the Giant and Stan Stasiak, and Stan Stasiak was known for the heart punch. And you basically just pull the guy's arm behind their head and you would punch him straight in the heart, and that would be the finish. <laughs> Well, you know, and Stan was a bigger guy, so he was going against Andre. They're wrestling a match, and then comes a point in the match. Stan Stasiak goes for the hard punch, hits Andre with the hard punch. Andre does nothing. That's a big deal because the hard <laughs> yeah, punch has right? been a finish yeah. for years. And as soon as Stan hits him with the hard punch, Andre rears back and hits him with his famous headbutt. And Stan flips and goes down out into the floor. Whoa. And then all of a sudden, Andre, as he's standing in the ring and stands on the ground selling the headbutt, Andre starts clutching his chest. Oh. 
And then he goes down to one knee. And then he falls down and rolls <laughs> and lays flat in the middle of the ring oh while Stan Stasiak is on the floor getting counted out. Holy uh, fuck, that's brilliant. That's and so it's probably the best finish I've ever heard oh in my, my entire career because it doesn't kill the heart punch. If anything, it puts over the heart no, punch. Because he got Andre the Giant. Because he got him. Andre the Giant with him, but because he is a giant, oh it took God. longer for him to <laughs> register. To, re- to reach his huge body. Exactly. Oh my God, it's so good. And, and and then Andre is still protected with a count out. So it was just this unbelievable finish and just the, the creativity that you could have Dude. with on, with bringing Andre the Giant in by getting over your guy and 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 whoever your local big man was, him being able to stand toe to toe with Andre the Giant, and Andre's willingness to work with people and leave the territory better than when he found it. Yeah. It's just that's, that, a, that, that's the best part about him. Yeah, I mean, geez, I'm just blown away by the storytelling there. I mean, like, uh, sound like a broken record, but just like the storytelling, filmmaking, and that, just like. I can see the shots with everything that you described and it just like hitting the fans like, oh my God, and everything just wrapping up beautifully and it making sense and no one being upset. Damn, I'm just, sorry, I'm marking out on Jake's story. Um, the thing I would just like to say is more on what I've said. Um, don't be a smart mark who doesn't really know shit and makes comments on stuff of some artists, mainly Andre, who you haven't, thoroughly researched and watched everything i think a lot about andre in the way i used to think about richard pryor when i was a noob and it's like the 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 majority of richard pryor stuff is on record cds now and it's all audio and there's not too much video and people are like oh what did pryor do he's got like three specials that's not much blah 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 he's got the one good one the rest are downhill But if you actually do the research, find the records, you'll see the fucking brilliance. You'll see the greatness in Pryor. And it's the same with Andre the Giant. If you go back and do the research, find a Stan Hansen match. Find his Inoki match. Find the Kobayashi match. Find him when he was just like, he he was doing so many different things. And he wasn't just being a big monster giant. And he was a hell of a damn worker. I just seriously, I cannot put over his face and his emotions and his selling and how he would communicate with his body and his and you can just hear him like there's a hard camera shot and you think you're only hearing the crowd and you can't really hear the wrestlers because the crowd's overwhelming everything but then all of a sudden you hear and it's like holy shit i heard andre from the hard cam and this isn't on the floor and it was just like he knew how to do what he was supposed to do and he could do it in ways that you did not expect and he made me mark out like a dumbass watching, doing research for this stuff. And I have a whole new respect for him because, like Nick said, I mean, WrestleMania 3, that's how I mostly know Andre. But, I mean, damn, dude was good. Dude was really good, and he was better than you thought he was. Yeah, uh, that album, uh, That Giant is Crazy, is amazing. <laughs> amazing. I, I want to see Andre running down the street with his big fro on fire. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun for me to go watch Andre do the territories just because everything with him was such a spectacle. You know, it was cool to see the shots of him walking down the aisle like in a small arena towering over everyone. And as we brought up, if all you've ever seen him do is get slammed at WrestleMania 3, it's cool to see him wrestle. You know, he could move. He could tell a story in the ring. Just like Jake's story, he was very clever with how he used his size. And, you know, it's nice to not see him 
holding the ropes, wincing in pain for a match. And I'm very jealous of any kid or adult who got to see Andre walk into their hometown and wrestle. And if I can get sidetracked for just a second, I think that's a good reason to get off your ass and go to an indie promotion and support some local wrestling. You never know who's going to blow up or who's going to drop into your city that night. You know, I'll never have an Andre the Giant story, but I saw Zami Zayn as El Generico wrestle to a half-sold-out Greensville, North Carolina Ring of Honor event. I saw Impact star Caleb Conley wrestle in a high school gym. I saw world champion Jake Manning beat Cedric Alexander before he was WWE Cruiserweight champion. I saw John Schuyler before he did Zane Riley's Extra Talented podcast, which is now available now on iTunes. <laughs> so get out there and go watch some fucking wrestling. Yeah. And I saw Jake wrestle Al Snow before he was the PWX champion. So how about that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's wrap up. Again, we're at Tim Bell Pod on all the social medias. I'm N-I-C-K-O-H-L-E-S-S-A on all the social medias. Micah is Trotter 27 on Twitter. You're getting good at it. I'm, I'm just blowing through it now. And Jake is Manscout Manning on all the social medias. Uh, what are we doing? Just I don't know. Five, four, three, two, one. Turn, I don't know. Hit, hit I just want off. to say I believe that Andre had two rows of teeth and two hearts. I don't care what the fuck anything says. That's what he had. No? Four out of five dentists say goddamn.